Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. There are so many great words throughout our language that really capture our attention and that really cause us to focus more on our relationship with God. I want you to think about the word love tonight. Too often in our culture and our society today, that word has often been misunderstood and also misdefined. But the Bible teaches us what true love really is. In John 3, verse 16, the Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Think about the word grace tonight, and especially in Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and following, we're going to talk about that particular word as well. But when you think about love and grace, think about salvation tonight. Again, all these words help us appreciate not just our relationship with each other, but most of all, the relationship that we have with the God in heaven. But I especially tonight want you to think about this word with me, reconciliation. When you read Paul's letter to the brethren here at Ephesus, Paul is going to give them six chapters primarily talking about the church that belongs to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In fact, if you were to take the book of Ephesians and Colossians and put those two books side by side, you see so many great similarities. Some greater minds have said that the book of Colossians is specifically talking about the Christ of the church. But the book of Ephesians, the theme is going to talk about the church that belongs to Jesus Christ. Think about from Ephesians chapter 1 tonight in verse number 3. There Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings and heavenly places in Christ Jesus. In Ephesians 1 and verse number 4, Paul there will let us know that God created us in him or God chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Think about that tonight. Before you and I were ever born into this world, before we ever knew what sin was, God had a plan to get us out of something that we got ourselves into. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse number 7, Paul there says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. In Colossians chapter 1 verse 13 and 14 there, Paul says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. And then Paul adds this phrase, according to the riches of his grace. In this very same chapter in Ephesians chapter 1, 16 and following there, Paul, rem Paul will remind us of the resurrection power that we have as a result of being children of the Most High God. In the last two verses of this chapter, Paul says, And have put all things under his feet, and to gave him to be head over all things which is the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, Paul says, that filleth all in all. Now Paul begins in Ephesians chapter 2, and Paul is going to show us three things tonight that I believe if we allow these things to challenge us and convict us, we certainly can leave being the people of God, a God will have us to be. As Paul's custom is in many of the letters that he is writing, Paul is going to spend the first half of the book indoctrinating those in which he's writing to. And then the latter part of the book, Paul is going to give them some practical matters or how we put these things into application into our lives. In these first three chapters in the book of Ephesians, Paul is going to write to them again concerning some doctrinal matters. In the latter part of the book, in Ephesians chapter 4 through chapter 6 there, Paul is going to show us how we put these things into practice or how we make application into our lives. 
You see, brethren, it's all good for us to study the Word of God, for us to allow the Word of God to get into us, but we also have to put these things into practice. It's not enough just to read the Bible. It's not enough just to memorize and to know the Bible from cover to cover, but we also have to be willing to put these things into our lives so we cannot just talk about it, but ultimately we can be about it. We can be the difference in the world. We can look like Jesus, talk like Jesus, friends. We can live like Jesus, and it all starts with allowing the Word of God to prick us, to challenge us, and change us to be just like that of Jesus Christ. Point number one tonight, if you turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. In Ephesians chapter 2, in these first seven verses here, the Apostle Paul is going to show us the need for reconciliation. From verse number 8 to verse number 10, Paul is going to show us God's work in reconciliation. And then in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11, toward the end of the chapter, Paul is going to show us thirdly tonight an example of reconciliation. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, notice what Paul says. Paul says, And you hath he quickened, who were, who were dead in trespasses and sins. Wherein in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we had our conversations in times past in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature called the children of wrath even as others. Verse 4, Paul says, But God, who was rich in mercy, for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has quickened us together with Christ. By grace are ye saved. Paul says, and he has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Verse 7, that in the ages to come, he might show for the exceeding riches of his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Paul says in verse 8, for by grace are ye saved through faith. And not that of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of worse, less of any man should boast. Verse 10, Paul says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God had before ordained in him. Again, number one tonight, brethren, let's talk about the need for reconciliation. You see, friends, before we can even cry the cover of Ephesians chapter 2, we need to be reminded of who we were in terms of us and our relationship with God. You see, sometimes people approach their relationship with God as if God owes them something. God, look at my life. God, look at all the things I have done. Friends, there is no one in here tonight who can tell God, God, I've earned heaven. God, I've done everything you've asked me to do because we struggle. We sin. We say things. We do things that are not according to the will of God. And so in Genesis chapter 3, Friends, again, here we are having a picture into the mind of God. Because in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 to verse number 12, when Adam and Eve sinned, they more or less broke the relationship that we have with God. In fact, in Genesis 3, 4 and following there, the Bible there says, And Adam and his wife, they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. Then God goes looking for them. That's what it is to show love. And God has asked, him, asked Adam a simple question. Adam, where art thou? 
And Adam says to God, God, I was afraid and I hid myself. And God's response to him was, who told thee that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree whereof, whereof I commanded that you should have not eat? Friends, hear me well. When God asks a question, it's not for confirmation, but it's for contemplation. God wanted Adam and Eve to know where they were in terms of them not being in the place they should have been. Same thing is true with parents. We ask our children questions, not for us, but for the benefit of them. And hopefully after they answer the question, they realize that they're not in the place that they should be. Friends, the relationship between man and God was broken. But in Genesis 3 verse 15, friends, God doesn't leave us broken. God gives us the promise of something so much greater to come. The Bible says, and I will put enmity or warfare between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. Immediately when we broke our relationship with God, friends, God started heading towards Calvary. You see, Genesis chapter 3, as some in the world may suggest, that that somehow caught God by surprise. Because Paul, in Ephesians chapter 3, 8 to verse number 11, Paul is going to show us that before time began, before Genesis 1 verse 1 was ever written, God had a plan he created in eternity to save us from our sins. Paul says in Ephesians 3, verse 8, Unto me who am less than the least of all the saints is this grace given, that I should preach or teach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which, what Paul, which from the beginning of time had been hid in God. Verse 11, Paul says, According to the eternal purpose which he purchased in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so in Ephesians chapter 2, notice what Paul says. Paul says, And you have he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Now, when Paul uses this phrase, quicken there, the word better translate made alive. So Paul says, and you have he made alive, and then Paul tells them, Paul reminds them where they were, who were dead in trespasses and sin. We don't have time tonight, but if you in your own studies would read Leviticus chapter 4 and Leviticus chapter 5, Paul will go in great detail in those two chapters talking about how there was a sacrifice for the trespass offering, how there was a sacrifice for the sin offering, and how they had to do this every single year. Paul says, and you have he quickened who were dead spiritually in trespasses and sins. Friends, when we come to the realization that the only reason any of us have a seat in the kingdom of God is because of Jesus, friends, that'll help us appreciate again how much God loves us, friends. Because again, if you look at your life, and I look at my life tonight, Titus says in Titus 3 verse 5, not by works of righteousness which we have done. Titus says there was nothing of our own accord and by our own merit that could have made us right before the God of heaven. But God gave us a gift. That word translates to Rion. God gave us something that we did not deserve, and that's that grace we're going to talk about later on tonight. Paul says, and you have he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Verse 2, Paul says, wherein in times past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Paul now again reminds them of where they used to live. Paul says, wherein in times past ye walked according to the course of this world. Throughout the ministry of Paul, it took me a while to find this, but throughout the ministry of Paul, throughout his writings, Paul is going to use the word walk 31 times. 
And when Paul uses this word, friends, Paul is not talking about us physically walking, but Paul is talking about our lifestyle. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, Paul says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you, I beg you, what, Paul, that you walk worthy of what? Of the vocation wherewith you have been called. When Paul uses that word walk, Paul is talking about our lifestyle. Friends, when you think about that in terms of what we're talking about tonight from Ephesians chapter 2, our manner of lifestyle has already been selected for us. You see, we don't have to walk around tonight looking in the earth for buried treasure in terms of what God will have us to know. God has revealed to us his word. God has left his revelation for us. Well, what does it mean? Truly, what does it mean to walk according to the will of God? We are walking in the footsteps of our Savior. A good account of that is found over in Philippians chapter 2. Paul says in verse number one, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any fellowship of the spirit, if any bowels of mercies, fulfill ye my joy and be like-minded, having the same mind, being of one accord and of one mind. Paul said, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind. Verse three, Paul says, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own thing, but every man also on the things of others. Verse 5, Paul says, let this mind, what mind, Paul? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. That's our walk. That's our manner of lifestyle. Friends, we study the ways of Jesus. We learn of his ways, and his ways become our ways. Paul says, your minds. In Philippians 2, verse 5, that word there means to exercise the mind. Now, I'm sure many of us in here tonight, we don't like working out. Many of us love working out. But the idea Paul is saying there, Paul is saying that you have to work out your mind. Paul says this is something you have to do every single day of your life. How many people start the year motivated to go to the gym? You know, when January rolls around, what do we call those? New Year's resolutions. And people are going down to Planet Fitness, spending their $10, which is a really good price. And we get ourselves signed up. But here comes February 1. And we no longer have that same desire. We no longer have that same passion. Friends, we can't put the weights down because they get hard, because they get heavy sometimes and expect any strength to come into our lives. Friends, it is difficult to live like Jesus, but it's possible. Paul says our minds have to change. In Ephesians 2, verse 2, again, notice what Paul says. Wherein in times past, you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of air. Paul makes it clear that there was a time when the devil was your master. You see, friends, anytime you're dealing with the devil, anytime you're dealing with Satan, friends, he does not have your best interests at heart. In John 8, verse 44, when the Jews were making the argument that, we, that, that, that they were descendants of Abraham, in John 8, verse 44, what does the Bible says? Ye are of your father the devil. The lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning. He abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh of a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. 
In 1 Peter 5 and verse number 8, Peter says, Be sober, be vigilant, or watchful, because your adversary, brethren, then he calls them by name the devil. He walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. It will be one thing tonight if we didn't know who our enemy is. It will be one thing tonight if we were walking blind, but God, spiritually speaking, he sheds the light on the devil and he exposes him. And friends, we know who our enemy is. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul gives us that Christian armor. In verse number 17, Paul says, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus says, It is written three different times, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. The devil wants to hinder you and your relationship with God, friends. And he'll do whatever he can to do that. We have to protect and guard ourselves against the wiles, as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 16 and following, against the wiles or the schemes, the methods of the devil. Paul says in Ephesians 2 and verse number 2 again, wherein in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Paul says in verse number three, among whom also we had our conversation. The word conversation there again means manner of lifestyle. Paul says our manner of lifestyle, your manner of lifestyle rather, was not according to the will of God. How many times do we talk to people? Do we try to encourage them to live faithful, to live according to the will of God, to live according to the truths that are found in the gospel of Jesus Christ? And friends, we have a lot of people who struggle with those things. They don't know how they can really live in this world, how they can really be in this world and not be so controlled by the pressures and the temptations of this world. But God shows us, friends, we can be in this world, but we cannot be of the world. John chapter 17, when our Lord is praying that great prayer in John 17, 15 and following, that was his prayer. In John 17, 1 to verse number 3, he prayed for himself, verse 3. He prayed that we may know him, verse number 5. And now he prays for his disciples. Yes, they are in the world, but friends, they are not of the world. Same thing is true of us tonight. No one in here tonight can say we are not affected by the things of this world in some regards. We have sin all around us, even in our own family members sometimes. And it's difficult. Those things affect us. But how can a Christian truly set their mind and set their hearts on eternity. The Bible teaches us that. And we can't do that walking or having our conversation, having our manner of lifestyle according to the world in which we live in. Paul says, wherein in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we had our conversation in times past in the lust of the flesh, Paul says, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature called the children of wrath even as others. The Bible teaches us how we guard ourselves against temptation. In James 1 verse 13, James says, Let no man say when I am tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither he tempts any man. But every man is tempted when, James, when he is drawn away from his own lust and enticed. Then James says, when lust hath conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, James says, it brings forth death. 
In 1 John 2, 15 and following, John there would say, Love not the world, neither those things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Here it is, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. He says, this world passes away and the lust thereof, but he who does, who, he who doeth the will of the Father, that individual will abide forever. I've been thinking about not just this lesson tonight, but other lessons, especially from verse number three, when we talk about fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Friends, we have to get to a place in our mind and in our hearts where we no longer allow those temptations to knock us and hinder us in our relationship with God. Friends, we have to put ourselves in positions that will help us grow, that will give us the tools to overcome temptation. Friends, we don't have to succumb to the temptations of this world, especially when we have an example like that of Jesus. You know, typically when we talk about David and Goliath, we show how David had great strength and how David was able to go out and fight this great giant by the name of Goliath. And friends, 1 Samuel chapter 17 is a great chapter in the Bible. But it's so interesting because the same thing that David allowed himself to do in 1 Samuel chapter 17, allowing God to lead him, allowing God to be his strength, in 2 Samuel chapter 11, Samuel, I mean, rather, uh, David did not do that. Friends, it's the desires and the temptations that we don't put to death that will come back and get us if we don't put those things to death the first time. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 3, there Paul says, If ye then been risen with Christ, to seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth at the right hand of God. Verse 2, Paul says, To set your affections on things above and not on things of the earth. In Colossians 3, verse 5, Paul says, mortify. Friends, that word means to put to death or to dead. And Paul says, there are some things we just have to put to death. But how many people, spiritually speaking, are going to the grave of something they put down a long time ago, digging those things up? Friends, we have to let those things stay where they are. God doesn't want us digging up old temptations. You see, we've done so much work to mold ourselves and to build ourselves into the people of God God will have us to be. And friends, temptations, they are going to happen. Temptations just has a way of presenting themselves into you in your life. And sometimes we put ourselves in positions to succumb to those temptations. Paul says to these brethren here, reminding them of where they were before their relationship with God. Paul says, here you are, were dead and trespassed in sins. Paul says the devil was your master. Paul says you walked according to the course of this world. Paul says you didn't do anything. But in verse number four, notice what the Bible says. You see, in Ephesians chapter two, one to verse number three, Paul shows us the need for reconciliation. Paul shows us why we need to be reconciled back to God because of verse 1 to verse number 3. But notice verse number 4. Now let's talk about God's work in reconciliation. In verse number 4, notice what Paul says here. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us. There are so many beautiful words in the Bible, phrases. Consider this small yet powerful phrase tonight, but God. You know, preacher, I've been having a difficult week, but God. You know, as Christians, we need to develop a but God mentality. 
Yes, life is tough. Yes, I have all these pressures, all these things that come into my life, but my God is still good. Friends, last time I checked, God is still on his throne. Friends, last time I checked, God is not moved or shaken by the things of this world. And if God is not moved or shaken, friends, we don't have to be moved or shaken either. Friends, the fact that God is still high and supreme over everything in this world should give us the comfort and the confidence to trust him more. I like to use this illustration because I think it really paints a picture of what I want to say in this particular moment. Every two or four years, depending on what you're running for, we have different elections. And we go to the polls, we do our research, this, that, and the other. Friends, God is not running for God. We don't have to go to the polls every two or four years and try to find a different God. Friends, God has been God for a very long time. God has been the creator and the mover of this world since the beginning of time. Friends, Genesis 1 verse 1 was not the beginning of God, but that was the beginning of time. God existed before time ever became a thing. And that God is the God who controls our lives. If you recall in Genesis chapter 50, after the death of Jacob in Genesis chapter 49, the Bible shows us how Jacob, Genesis, 49, Genesis 45 rather, Jacob has now blessed his sons. And as you make your way to Genesis chapter 50 and verse number 20, if you recall that Joseph is now confronting his brothers and his brothers are talking to him. And they're having this conversation between themselves. You know what? Our father is dead. Surely Joseph is going to strike vengeance to us. In Genesis 50 and verse number 20, Joseph says to them, Be not grieved, or rather Joseph says, uh, You all meant this for evil, but God meant this for good, so I can save many alive. Friends, the next time the devil shows up at your house, the next time temptation comes knocking on your door, allow the gospel lead you too often which I'm sure many of us have heard too often we tell our fears and our problems well too often rather we tell God how big our fears and our problems are rather than telling those things how, how big our God is friends anytime you're dealing with God make your plans big especially in terms of you and your relationship with the gospel of Jesus Christ again in verse 4 Paul says but God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. Friends, when you consider what the Bible has to say about the mercy of God, two different ways to look at that. But I want to look at that with you for a moment tonight in regards to the mercies of God and how he extends those to us. In Lamentation chapter 3, verse 18 and following, the Bible there teaches us how here you have Jeremiah who's in this dungeon. Jeremiah calls out to God. Jeremiah says, God, your mercies are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 and verse 4, Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them, which are in any trouble by the same comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. Friends, the mercies of God are available for us. 
Again, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 1, Paul says, If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels of mercies, fulfill ye my joy and be like-minded. When was the last time we reminded someone about the mercies of God and how God extends those mercies to us? And again, all those things helps us appreciate reconciliation. The fact that here we are, our relationship with God has been broken. How is man going to be reconciled back to God? How is man going to stand before the God in heaven just as if he or she has never sinned? It's because of God. It's because God has extended his mercy toward us. In Romans chapter 5, verse 6 and following there, Paul says, And when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man would die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Mercy. I'm extending that to you. Paul says, but God who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us. Verse 5, Paul says, even when we were dead in sins, have quickened us or made us alive. Even when we were dead in sins, have quickened us together with Christ. By grace are ye saved. Again, Paul says when we were dead in sins, Paul keeps reminding them of that. Because again, if there was a way for humanity to save themselves from their sins, if there was a way for us to justify ourselves back to God, if there was a way for us to be righteous or found righteous, rather, in the eyes of the God of heaven, friends, where, excuse me, where is that plan? Again, Titus says it has nothing to do with us. I'm not going to minimize the ingenuity of mankind tonight. Friends, we have been able to do some great things with the ingenuity. We've been able to create and orchestrate some great things into this world. But this can only come from the mind of God. Only the God in heaven can create something as perfect as this. Give us a way, give us a place to access that salvation where we can be right in his eyes. Humanity needs to humble themselves and submit to the one who has created everything. Why would I, I want to talk about how great man is when I can talk about how great God is? Why do I want to brag on man when I can talk about the God in heaven who loved me, who sent his son to save us from our sins? That's what we need to be talking about, friends. That's what we need to be sharing with our friends. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Again, friends, it's not wrong talking about sports. I talk about sports. Those things are not wrong in and of themselves. But when was the last time we were so convicted to tell someone about the gospel of Jesus Christ? That's the first and the only thing we talked about. This person needs to be saved. I can't do it, but I know someone who can. And that's Jesus Christ. Paul says this mercy that we have, again, is only a result of what God has done for us. And then in verse number five, again, Paul says, even when we were dead in sins, have quickened us together with Christ by grace are you saved. Paul says that he, made, that he has raised us up together, verse 6, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Verse 7, that in the ages to come, he might show for the exceeding riches of his, of his goodness, of his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Notice what Paul says in verse number 8. 
Paul says, for by grace are ye saved. Paul says, by grace, by God's unmerited favor, by God giving you something you don't deserve, Paul says, you have been saved or you are saved because of that. Humanity was drowning in sin. And God decided to save us. I don't know how often we sing the song, Love Lifted Me, but I think we need to go back to singing that song because it reminds us how we were sinking deep in sin and ultimately how love, how God lifted us, how God brought us back in a right relationship with him. I've talked to many lifeguards on many occasions, and lifeguards always teach us or try to tell us, rather, how uh, there are multiple ways to save a person from drowning. You know, it's rather not funny, but it's rather unfortunate that sometimes a person who cannot save themselves, they'll scream and they'll shout out to the lifeguard. And so what the lifeguard often will do is they will throw a buoy into the water. The person grabs the buoy and the lifeguard will pull them back to shore. That's typically one way to save a person from drowning. But there are some instances, I've even seen it on YouTube, I'm sure many of you all have seen as well, that there are some people who are so prideful, they will fight with the lifeguard for trying to save them. There's this video of the lifeguard throwing the buoy, and the person is telling the lifeguard they don't want to do that, they want to try it that way, their way, and the person, eventually, they just began going down. So what the lifeguard did was, he decided to go down where the person was, and bring them back. Friends, God just didn't throw us a buoy, but God came down from heaven to save us from our sins. God didn't just look at humanity and say, I'm going to let them figure it out for themselves. No, sir, no, ma'am. God came down from heaven, Hebrews 2, verse 9. Jesus left the confines of heaven, Philippians 2, 5 and following. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, to save humanity, to save us from our sins. Paul says, by grace, by unmerited favor, you have been saved. And not that of yourselves, verse 9, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest of any man should boast. Verse 10, Paul says, for we are his workmanship. Paul says, you are, are the handiwork of God. Imagine painting something that's so beautiful. Paul says, you Christians, you brethren at Ephesus, Paul says, you all are the handiwork of God. But God... Again, commended his love toward us, Philippians, excuse me, rather, Romans 6 and 8. And while we were sinners, friends, uh, he died for us. Paul says in verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God had before ordained that we should walk in them. In Philippians chapter 2, 1 to verse 3, Paul shows us the need for reconciliation. From verse 4 to verse number 10, Paul shows us God's work in reconciliation. With our remaining time tonight, let's talk about from verse number 11 and following, let's talk about an example of reconciliation. In Philippians, rather, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 11, notice what Paul says. Paul says, wherefore remember that ye being in times past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called the uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. 
Paul says that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace, have made both one, have broken down the middle wall of partition between us. In verse 15, Paul says, having abolished in the flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make himself of twain one new man, so making peace. Verse 16, I love verse 16, Paul says, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. When I was uh, giving this lesson tonight, my brother Kyle, I really appreciated the different chapters in Ephesians chapter 2 especially. There is so much in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 11 toward the end of the chapter and that's really my first initial thought was let's just talk about Ephesians 2 11 and following but those first uh, 10 verses really set the foundation for verse number 11 and following there. Notice verse number 11 again. Paul says wherefore remember Paul says, think about this. Paul says, stand still and allow your mind to go back. Wherefore, remember that ye being in times past Gentiles in the flesh who are called the uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. Don't have time to go all through our circumcision tonight. But what you have here, they would call these Gentiles uncircumcised more or less as an insult who are called the uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. That at that time, ye were without Christ, being aliens, being strangers from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope in without God in the world. A lot to unpack there. Notice what Paul says more closely. Paul says you are aliens. Paul says you are foreigners, you are strangers. From the covenants of promise, you had no hope, and you were without God in the world. You see, there was a time where the Jews boasted in the fact that they were descendants of the great Abraham. Again, John chapter 8 talks about that. And throughout the New Testament, we see how many of these Jews struggle with this same concept. But what Paul does in Romans chapter 1 through Romans chapter 3, in Romans chapter 1, 18 to verse 32, Paul sheds some light on the sinfulness of the Gentile world. And you can more or less see in the Jews saying, amen, Paul, you get those Gentiles. But in Romans chapter 2, Paul now turns his attention and Paul says, you Jews are without excuse. Paul says, you Jews, you have the law of God. And in chapter 3, Paul says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. What Paul does in that chapter, leading up to verse number 23, Paul said that throughout the Old Testament, there were signs, there were sins that Jesus ultimately was going to come save us from our sins. Friends, the Jews have to come to God the same way the Gentiles do because they both have the same problem. They both are in sin. Wherein lies or therein lies the gospel of Jesus Christ. Friends, we all have to come to God the same way because we all have the same problem, that being sin. And Jesus is the only solution to our sin problem. How many times have you talked to people? I've talked to many people who believe they can be saved without obeying the gospel of Jesus Christ. They believe they can access salvation. They believe they can have their seat in heaven separate and apart from obeying the gospel. 
But in John 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. No man goes to the Father except by me or except through me. Jesus says the only way to get to him is through me. And Acts 4, verse 12, Luke says, Neither is that salvation in any other name, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Friends, Jesus is the only way for you to be saved. Jesus is the only way for you to attain salvation. Paul says that in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 and following there, uh, how the uncircumcision and the circumcision, how that was really on their mind. Paul says, but now in Christ Jesus, verse 13, ye who sometimes were afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace and have made both one and have broken down the middle wall or partition between us. You see, friends, in Jesus, in Jesus Christ, in his church, there is no Jew and Gentile. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 and following there, Paul says, you are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of us have, as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Paul says, there's neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free, male nor female. Paul says, for ye are all, not two, not three, but one in Christ Jesus. I was reading an article recently, and the writer was trying to make an argument that Paul was not a, a one church preacher. Friends, Paul is a one church preacher. Paul is a one body preacher. Again, Ephesians chapter 4, there is one body. Ephesians chapter 1, 22 and 23, that's that church. There is one body. There is one spirit. Even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father, who is above all, through you all, and in you all. Friends, I believe Paul was a one church preacher. Paul says in the gospel, Paul says there is no longer a middle wall of partition between us that separates us. When the temple was rebuilt, there was this sign, there was this wall that was uh, called the, the storge or the sorge. And what this wall basically did was reminded the Gentiles that they were not accepted into that place, into those courts. But Jesus comes. And Jesus looked at humanity. And Jesus says, you are welcome into my family. You see, when Jesus in John chapter 4 was talking to the woman at the well, Jesus knew what he was doing. He's the son of God. He knows everything. And the woman of Samaritan tells Jesus that the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus ultimately tells her about how there is going to come a day where how you were, were, were the place you worship is not going to matter. But in verse 24, he says, God is a spirit, and they that worship him, they must worship him in spirit and in truth. Friends, the point in the emphasis I'm trying to make right here is the world has done a really good job at dividing us. The world has done a really good job at making us two when Jesus only died for one. Now, I think of all of us tonight, change our thinking and challenge ourselves just a little bit. We can appreciate the one that we have because it's perfect, brethren. It's perfect just the way God gave it to us. Paul says, but now in Christ Jesus, 
You who were sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace and have made both one, have broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in the flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances. But notice verse 16, and that's where, that's where we'll end tonight. Paul says, and he has reconciled both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. Friends, the cross of Jesus didn't just cleanse those sins at that present time. They didn't just cleanse the sins of past, but they also extend to us today as well. The blood of Jesus is so powerful that it goes all the way back to the garden, all the way to eternity. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul shows us and teaches us the importance of reconciliation. He shows us the need, why you need to be reconciled back to God. Second of all, he shows us God's work in reconciliation. How God has done so much for us so we can be reconciled back to him. And then last of all, Paul gives us this great example of what reconciliation truly looks like. There is no division, but there is only one. First Corinthians 1 verse 10, Paul says, I beseech you, brethren, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same body. In verse 16, Paul asks some rhetorical questions. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were ye baptized in the name of Paul? Paul says, I thank God I baptized none of you but Christmas and Gaius, lest any of you should say I have baptized in my own name. Paul was showing them that, 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 again, that there's only one. In Ephesians chapter 2, there's so much more that, that, that really can be said tonight. But tonight I want to leave you the same way we began. You see, as Paul opens this book, he reminds them of the blessings that they have in Christ. The spiritual blessings are only in Christ Jesus. And then Paul shows them that God chose you before the foundation of the world. And then in verse number 7, in whom we have redemption through his son, uh, even the forgiveness of our sins. You see, if you're not a member of this church we're talking about tonight, friends, you are missing out on the greatest thing God has given to us. You know, we are so blessed in this world today. God gives us spouses and children and friends and family members, and all those things are great friends. We, 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 we are so thankful for those things. But I'm so thankful to be a member of this church. I'm so thankful that God thought so much of humanity that he was willing to send his son to die on the cross for our sins. If you're not a member of that kingdom tonight, friends, we will beg you, we would encourage you to put Christ on in baptism. In Romans 10, 17, Paul says, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of Almighty God. You have to believe that. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Hebrews 11, verse 6, repent of your sins, confess Jesus to be the Son of God. The eunuch said, here is water, what doth hinder me to be baptized? And the Bible there says, he said, I believe with all my heart that Jesus Christ that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that eunuch was baptized. Tonight, that can be you. He went on his way rejoicing. That can be you tonight as well. But sometimes we lose our way 
We say things, we do things that are not according to the will of God. But thankfully, we have an advocate, 1 John 2, 1 and 2, Jesus Christ the righteous. In 1 John 1, verse 9, the Bible says that we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, and he will cleanse us from not some, not most, but all unrighteousness. Friends, tonight, if you have a need, we invite you to come while we stand and while we sing. all bow together. Father, we're thankful unto you for the time that we were given this evening to study your word together. Father, we recognize the truth of your word, the truth that reminds us that we were lost. We were without hope in the sinful world. Because of Jesus, because of his gospel, because of our obedience to your will, we enjoyed the salvation from those past sins through the blood of Christ. 
Father, may we, as your people, have so much love for you that we can't even see ourselves going back into the world. May we be so committed to wanting to go to heaven, so determined to go to heaven, that we fall out of love with the world and realize there's nothing there for us. And Father, may our influence be strong to help others around us come to you, to help our fellow Christians realize they don't need to go back into the world. You're so good to us. Your grace and your mercy. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your blessings. In Jesus' name, amen.